those of you who are visiting, welcome. I, I'm still going to sit this week. I had knee surgery on the 17th of November and uh, couldn't put any weight on it until this last Tuesday at 145. And uh, 145, the doctor said I could try to start walking. At 245, I was driving to Bass Pro Shop. So uh, being patient as I am. But it feels really good, so I praise God for that. But I can't stand very long yet because my right leg is, doesn't uh, stand straight to where I can lock it. I might be leaning on one leg the whole time. But going to physical therapy, three days of that. Do you know what physical therapists are like? I mean, it's very close to medieval torture, what they do to you in these places. One brother told me that <clears throat> physical therapists, what, what's the uh, difference between a physical therapist and a terrorist? A terrorist you can negotiate with. And that's exactly right. I mean, these... These people, they're kind of barbarians, you know, they, they, they work you over, but I'm convinced after analyzing the first three days that unfortunately it's the only way I'm going to get back to where I need to be. So I am thankful for these people who are willing to make others suffer like this. Uh, but here I am going to physical therapy for a while, but I do think I'll be able to stand again here uh, at the pulpit in a couple weeks, uh, and that's what I'm looking forward to. Because sitting's tough, it kind of keeps me, uh, it holds me back a little bit, I'm afraid. Uh, so that's okay though, I think this series of really meditations more than sermons during this Advent season, uh, maybe it's conducive for that. And so we continue today with the fourth, fourth of uh, five different Advent meditations I'm presenting to you. Uh, we started with the passage where Mary treasures and ponders. That was the first week of Advent. I challenged you at the beginning of Advent to do the same thing. Treasure that which is special and of high value. Put it in a safe place and take it out and ponder it regularly. The most valuable is the redemption provided for us in Christ. But also, uh, all that's connected with the gospel of God's grace through Christ. And, and ponder that. Think about that. Don't let things get so busy at this season that you, you miss that major aspect of why we even stop during this time of the year to really focus on the coming of Jesus. And the second week, I tried to impress upon you through God's word that the reaction we ought to have from Jesus coming, God sending Christ for us, is to praise him, uh, that it would evoke in us praise. In fact, God saves us to bring him glory, to worship him. I don't mean just here in the, in the formal setting, but in your lives, in your work, in your relationships, that you would worship and praise God as a result of him sending Jesus to save us, to save you. And then also, last week, we talked about, in light of those things, that Advent's also a time to party, a time to get together with those we love, that we've been brought together because of Christ, and just have fun together, enjoy God's creation together, enjoy celebrating together. And even if we're in settings where other people don't know Christ, we can do so in such a way that brings honor to God, brings honor to Christ. So we ponder, we praise, we party at this time of the year. But also, and today I want to focus on another part of what's valuable about this pause in the season to consider Christ's coming, and that is it's a time to plan. And I mean in light of what God has done in your life, in our lives, how might we go forward from 2010 to 2011? Rather than wait till the first sermon in January, I think it'd be great now where, where, while we're peaked in our thinking about these things to Look forward to 2011, maybe differently than we look forward to or went through 2010. In that light, I want to look at Proverbs 16. Many passages in the Bible about planning. I picked this one because I think it gives us uh, some neat perspective, if you will, about how we ought to be thinking as we plan for 2011. Not how-tos regarding planning, 
but rather how God would have us to think and look at things as we look forward to what's coming in the next year. Follow as I read God's word, Proverbs 16, 1 through 9. As you may know, the Proverbs are ordered, uh, really individual verses may be individual Proverbs written by Solomon, then collected. In Proverbs 16, these nine verses seem to really be meant to be taken together as the the first verse and the ninth verse are very similar. They form form bookends for us. So hear God's word as I read Proverbs 16, 1 through 9. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked, for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have lived another calendar year, and each of us have things for which uh, to praise you and probably a good number of things we regret. During this Advent season, we have all sorts of opportunities to become distracted from the really important things. Busyness threatens to rob us of the opportunity to grow in our devotion to Christ. Lord Jesus, would you help us to cherish you more as we think back on what we have learned over these Sundays together from your word. Help us to treasure and ponder the wonder of your redemptive plan and work. Draw from us praise as we ponder the great gift of forgiveness provided in God, the Son. Make us to be a people who love to praise you. With the time that we have left between now and Christmas, give us to the making of Mary with those that you have given us. Lord, give us priorities in 2011 that reflect your kingdom. Lord, we confess to lacking wisdom about life. You are wisdom. Please give us yourself. In Christ we pray. Amen. Now, let me ask you a few questions as we consider this passage. First, what place did God have in your life in 2010? And be honest in your, in your mind and heart about this. Looking back at the last 12 months, how did God figure in? Would you say that God was central in your life? Would you say that God was important in your life? Would you say that God occupied quite a bit of your thinking and consideration? Or would you say, honestly, that God was really only a factor when you had a problem that needed fixing? Would you be honest enough to say, you know, God really wasn't a serious part of my thinking at all in 2010, even though I may have looked like it? Now, no matter how you would answer any of these questions that I just asked, I think that all of us can at least agree that more wisdom is always needed. And each of us would probably welcome a good dose of it when we can get it. And the Bible addresses the matter of planning ahead or looking ahead or envisioning or dreaming about things, picturing what things should be like in multiple places. And for this morning's meditation, I want to focus on something Solomon wrote. And here's the reason why I picked a passage from Solomon. God gave Solomon an amazing amount of wisdom. Now, he gave every scripture writer wisdom from the Holy Spirit, and it's guided by the Holy Spirit. 
But in the life of Solomon, he gave him a special measure, a measure above any other person's wisdom on earth. And wisdom is not just knowledge or intellectual ability. It's knowledge that works itself out in life. It's the ability to handle life skillfully. And Solomon had this above and beyond anyone else. And I'm not just saying that. God declares this. In 1 Kings 4, listen to what is said about Solomon. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan, the Ezraite, Heman, and he names off seven or eight super wise guys. Verse 32, he also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were over a 1,000. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So in light of Solomon's divinely granted wisdom, let's consider the string of proverbs that make up 16, 1 through 9 as we take a step from 2010 into 2011. Viewing this chapter of Proverbs, I think, will help us with this. Now, I'm going to be really simple this morning. Sometimes I'm not that way. I apologize. But today I'm going to be very simple. And the way I view it is kind of the same way uh, that I battle with, with eating too much food. Now, I know some people have this problem, so you appreciate it. And I come up with all sorts of ways in which to get a hold of it. And usually you think in terms of your weight, so you're going to do this and that and follow this diet or this plan, and that's going to get you there. When in effect, what I've learned over the years, it always comes down to this simple truth, no matter what approach you take. My relationship with food has to be right. And then from that, I have to not eat as much and exercise more. There it is. Okay, I've discovered this over time. It's simple, very simple, no matter what else you want to put on it or other plan you want to follow or whatever. When it comes to plans, when it comes to looking ahead to a new year and how that will look, it is not nearly as complex as we make it. It really comes down to what we are shown in Proverbs 16. Something very simple, as simple as this. The right kind of planning comes from a right understanding of God's place in our lives. Let me say it again because it's the answer to all of this planning we're going to talk about comes down to this. The right kind of planning comes from a right understanding about God's place in our life. And to the degree we don't have God rightly in place in our life, we'll struggle with the plans we make. It's just going to happen. Now, God's gracious. Sometimes we go through life on our own, often for quite a while. On our own, at least sensing like it's on our own. And we forget this, but it never goes on forever like that. And for most, the plans that we make fall short more often than not. So thinking right about God in his place in our life will help us as we go into 2011. And I, I challenge you to stop whatever, the, whatever busyness surrounds you to think of this. And as we make plans for this year ahead, during this time where we are peaked a bit spiritually, you might say, with all this celebration and talk of God's provision of a Savior, let's think now about how we'll go forward. First, let's look at the passage as we see Solomon weave through the passage an understanding of who God is and who we are. Maybe that's the most fundamental thing I could tell you today, that if you know who God is and who we are, who you are, everything else starts to work itself out. Much of our frustration with the way things come uh, come about or happen is from not knowing or forgetting who God is and who I am. There can be no wisdom for planning, envisioning, strategizing, dreaming. There can be no wisdom for these things if this fundamental matter is not considered. Who is God and who am I? 
And let's be reminded of who God is and who we are once again. Proverbs 16 helps us see it. Verse 1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Now, please see what this is saying. We can have plans, we can have aspirations, we can have dreams, we can have visions of things that we want to see happen. We have them in our, our hearts, all of us do. But recognize when it comes down to it, it is God who issues the decree to make something so. The picture here is of a king in his court. The court has importance. The the court can plan. They'll have meetings. They'll come with ideas to the king. But in the end, all those plans are beholden to the king's decree in what the decree that goes forth from his mouth. The king's tongue will ultimately say what will be. So we are started out with this verse to remind us, plan, 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 but understand who you are, man. God is the one who determines. You are man. God is God. And there's a big difference. We've got to get this straight as we go forward. The king's decree pictured here. We see it clearly. Look at verse 2. Another vision of who we are compared to God. And as we come to know who God is, it'll work humility in us and it'll help guide and shape our plans. Verse 2 says, all the ways of man of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Here, here's the thing. There aren't any plans you are probably making. I'll assume you trust Christ. He's your savior. You're a Christian. So the plans you make, at least on the surface level of your own heart, you think are good plans. You're not planning something on purpose to sin or do something foolish. But we make plans based on our desires first, usually, and then we'll check with God after to see if they're okay, or we hope that God thinks they're okay. So we plan out our, we strategize, we plan, we look to the year ahead of the things we'll do, and then we go along and hope that everything works out, and if it doesn't work out, then we go to God. We think when we make plans that we're doing so purely, but what this passage reminds us of is another difference between man and God. We think that we act purely, but the fact is, God weighs the spirit, he knows the intentions, He reminds us that he is omniscient. He knows it all. He sees it all. Even though I may be able to fool those around me when I go forward with a plan, God knows and weighs the heart. He knows true motives and intentions. God and man. God is God. I am not. That's fundamental to making plans that honor him. Knowing that God is sovereign, that his all-knowing watch care is upon us will help humble us so that we conduct our planning with him in view. Knowing who God is and who man is is absolutely crucial to plans that'll be blessed, that will be beneficial. You know, God doesn't know just know who's been naughty or nice. He knows what's actually in the thoughts and intentions of every human heart. Solomon, to really drive home the point about God's sovereignty over our planning, makes a pretty stark and somewhat startling statement. Look at verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. He's sovereign over everything. He's created everything. He's designed everything for a reason. Even the wicked for the day of trouble. You may look around and think to yourself, look at all these people who are casting off God. They're making plans according to their own desires. They're doing stuff in the face of God. And he's saying, even those people are for God's purpose. There is no action or activity that goes outside of the plan and work of God. I can't explain every aspect of what that means, but I can see it clearly. That even the wicked's actions do not fall outside of the sovereign watch care of God. So when we realize that we are man and God is God, it'll put us at ease to some degree against our striving and we'll start to have a humility that ought to beset us when we think of his sovereignty and then we rest more 
in what he has for us in his will rather than strive for our own ambitious plans that often leave God out until we get in trouble. Who is God and who is man? Fundamental to this issue of planning. John Gill, one of the great commentators in the history of the church, spoke about this very bluntly and helpfully, I believe. When he speaks of knowing who God is, he says it this way. All things are appointed by the Lord, respecting the temporal estate of men, their birth, and the time of it, with all the circumstances attending it, the place of their abode, their calling, station of life, and usefulness, all adverse and prosperous dispensations, their death with all the events leading to it. And so likewise, all things respecting their spiritual and eternal state, the choice of them to salvation, their redemption by Christ, the time of his coming, sufferings and death, and the circumstances thereof. Gill says further, the conversion of God's elect, the time, place, and means. These are all according to the purpose of God, as are also all their times of affliction, temptation, desertion, and of joy and of comfort. In a word, Gill says, the final state of all men, good and bad, is fixed by the Lord. This understanding of who God is and who man is may well be the most important thing you come to understand going forward into 2011. Second only to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. It makes that big of a difference. We have to have a right view of God in order to live and plan in a way that honors him. I want to draw your attention to some parallels that happen in verse 1, 2, and then down in verse 9. Look at 1, 2, and 9 and how man is compared with God. Verse 1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but... The answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse 2, all the ways of man of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Please see, this passage is not saying believe that God is sovereign and do nothing. No, it's saying do these things, but remember who is sovereign. Remember that, and as you do remember that, it'll, it'll guide and direct how you make your plans going forward. When we have a solid, biblical, realistic understanding of who God is and who we are, it moves us to plan our days with God in the right place in our lives. And that leads us to the second point. In addition to knowing who God is and who man is, our place, we have to know the rightful place of God in our lives. Acknowledge it now on the 19th as we head in to 2011. Let me put it to you this way. We should make plans or decisions based not on our desired future. Hear me out. But on what we believe to be God's will. Now, God's will will come to pass. So making plans opposed to it is follysome. So rather than starting with desire, start with what is God's will? Now, God loves you and has plans for you. So that's not an act of some kind of futility by saying, well, forget what I want. I'm just going to do what God wants. Listen, God wants things for you. What they are, I don't know. You've got to search for them. It could be trouble, trial. All of it, though, is to build you and to draw praise from you. But as we go forward, make your decisions not based on your desired future, but on what we believe, you believe, to be God's will, not looking any further ahead than we can discern by his leading. We've just read that we plan and we plan. But in the end, God is sovereign over those plans. Instead of planning in a way that 
has to be overturned, if you will, humanly speaking, by God, because it's not his will. Let's wrestle with God for what his will is. That means the right place of God in our life translates to consistent reference to God in everything we do in every sphere of our life, no matter where it is. So maybe one big difference that will face us in 2011 is a constant reference to God and his will based on whatever it is he's calling you to do, the, most, the simplest things to the most complex things in your life. Verse 3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The right place of God in your life. To have your works, your plans, your desires, your dreams, your aspirations committed to God. And the act, actual language here is roll your burden up onto God. Matthew Henry says it this way. Roll the burden of thy care upon God and leave it with him by faith and dependence on him. The picture here is literally of, of rolling a rock or a stone onto something that will help you transport it. You can't move it, so you roll it onto something that can move it, and then it's pulled away. So roll your burden, roll your plans, your aspirations, your dreams, whatever you picture, roll that up unto God. Check it by his will. Trust in him to bring it to pass if it is his will. Be ready to change plans if it's not his will. But roll it up on him. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established, made clear. They'll come into view. If we just do what we're going to do and check with God later, how is it that we expect our plans to be clear? It gets too confusing at that point. But roll that up onto God. And in that process, clarity will come about your plans. Many of the troubles we experience throughout the year are connected to not thinking things through ahead of time. That's the story of my life as it relates to anything related to home improvement. Not even home improvement, like home repair. Improvement's like your house is okay, but you need to improve something. Repair is you've neglected something long enough and now you've got to do something. That's the story of my life. I tried to ignore things, because I figure if you ignore them, they just won't get bad, home improvement-wise. And that kind of developed in one of our, uh, our extra bathroom. One of my sons said, Dad, the wall's caving in. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a problem. That's not supposed to happen like that. And so this project starts. Now, I want to get this thing taken care of. I'm not very good at that kind of stuff. I can do it if you walk me through it. I'm not an expert at it, but I can do it. It just takes me twice as long as someone else. And I never have the tools. So I start the project immediately because I want to get it done. And then I've got to stop like 80 times to go to Home Depot. And when you're on crutches, it makes it even worse. So you go and you pick up stuff and you don't have enough stuff. And, and, and knowing people, feeling sorry for you, they, try to, they come and they help you. And, and uh, they tell you what you're doing wrong. And you realize all the while that you're running way ahead of this thing. And the reason why you're having the trouble you're having is because you won't stop and just think it out and plan it out, get what you need at first, and then go forward. Now, stuff comes up still, but much less of it comes up if you plan it out before you go ahead. If we would start first before 2011 with God in his rightful place, pause long enough to think about this and commit this, It will go so much better for us. Even when stuff comes up, it won't be as much stuff if we have God in the rightful place. I want you to think of your life not in terms of your spiritual life and your work life and your family life. None of that's true for a Christian. For a Christian, everything's your spiritual life. Everything's related to who you are in Christ. So instead, think of everything God's called you to do, whatever your duties are, as a calling, spiritual calling from him. And then think ahead to 2011, how this might look. 
different than 2010 or things that went well in 2010. Let's look ahead to 2011. Think it out. Give it to God. Be humble about it. Recognize he might want you to do something different with this. But you want God to have your works committed to him so he can establish your plans. Think of discipleship goals for yourself as you grow in Christ. By exposure to his word, by the sacraments, by the way in which he provides a place to have fellowship with other believers under the word of God, to worship him in your homes, in your workplaces if possible, other avenues where you can have outlets to serve him, all these ways in which you grow in discipleship. How will I take advantage of them ahead in ways maybe I didn't before? I don't mean overcommit. I mean just think about it. Plan for it now so that when life gets coming upon you, you still you have something established where you are doing this and it's built in and you're going to have this growth. Think of how you can build into others this way to mentor other people, to encourage other people. Maybe you have a, a, a young family. Right now, that's where you're focusing on discipleship. Great. If not, who are you building into? Think of this out. It won't just happen if you don't think it out. How might I build into the life of my spouse, build that person up? You know, everything else is such a priority, but we're just two ships passing so many things. We're on the same team, but we're, just, we're not spending the time together that we ought to. Plan that out now because it won't happen if you don't. Stewardship goals. How might I give of the gifts God's given me? You know, if Jesus came back, what would I have that I didn't give? And I don't mean just money. I mean the time that you have. The various gifts that you have that are special and unique and the treasures God's given us. How might I encourage others with the gospel by word and deed? How might... I in my vocation, and maybe your vocation's at home right now, maybe your vocation is in some workplace, but your vocation is, is, is as important as my vocation here. Whatever it is God's called you to do it, think out why God's placed you. Maybe it's been a terrible year for you at work, terrible uh, time for you at home. But think about why God has you in that place and what can be redeemed, what can God redeem through you being there and his work in you. It may just simply be you uh, it might mean you just growing more humble and more appreciative of what the gospel is and it manifests itself in your life and in your work. It could be more tangible. And maybe you really have opportunity to share the light of Christ with somebody in this setting. But think it out. It's a mission from God rather than just something you do to occupy time. And guard against arrogant presumption as you look forward. Make God the starting point for your plans, not the checkpoint after going your own way. Look at verse 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Solomon uses a pretty stark statement to jar us from the folly of making plans apart from God. You know, when we go the route of just making the plans and checking with God later, we're, we're being arrogant. We're basically saying we've got a better plan, more wisdom. And you know, we, we all do this. I mean, there's, there's times when you have an idea or plan and you need your wife, let's say. You need her to agree because you know it won't be good if she doesn't agree. But you've already got your mind made up. You're going to do it, whether or not she gives counsel opposed to it or someone else gives counsel opposed to it. You've decided you're going to do it because you know what's best. And you'll couch it in all sorts of spiritual language as to why I need this or that thing or to do this or that activity. But really, we're not really open to hearing someone give us opposing counsel. We make lots of our decisions like this. So going forward, hear multiple voices of counsel as you come across big decisions or look ahead to big ones. And really be honest about your willingness to maybe change course if it's not quite right. Because when we don't do this, we're arrogant and we're prideful. And quite 
frankly and straightly. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Now, there's much that can be said in these verses. But for our time together, I want to look at one more aspect of the passage before us. Let's consider verse 1 and verse 9 again to close. The reality about our plans. We make some really elaborate plans. Uh, Even the most disorganized among us have means to look organized or to have plans. Most of us have phones now that we can actually look like we're looking at to find out what we're doing next. And I devise plans for everything. I have a schedule for just about every activity that there is at church. Who will speak when, school schedules. Now that I'm teaching a class in school, freshman Bible, I have to have elaborate plans because our administrator requires them of me. All sorts of plans I have laid out, and I think they're pretty good looking. If you saw him, you'd say he's got his life in order. Now, what they look like and what's true, that could be very different. And I have to know something, a reality about those plans. As as well as I may put them together, I have to consistently remember back to the first point that God is God and I'm not. And there will be things that upset my plans. Now, if I understand the first point well enough, I'll be better equipped when the plans go awry or they don't happen just like their plan. We have to know the reality about our plans as we plan. And if you look at verse 1 and verse 9, you see these bookends of this passage really relay this to us. It again humbles us, but it encourages us too. Verse 1 again, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step. These two bookends encapsulate this message from Solomon to us. But they say the same things, that we have our plans, but please know that ultimately God is in control of it. There are other ways in which Solomon says it in Proverbs 21, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Don't run against God. Don't oppose him and expect that blessing will come. The way of any transgressor is painfully hard. So the reality about our plans, we're messed up so they'll be messed up. Continually strive after knowing God's will so that your plans will be planned accordingly. Later in Proverbs 21, verse 30, it says, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. God is sovereign and will determine what happens. Rest in that, don't fight against that. And even when looking ahead one year, We are reminded that our lives are very short. We may not have another day, much less a year. But there's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Have reality in mind about the plans as you make them. Make them, but keep God in his right place among them. The word of God through Solomon here is profoundly simple yet entirely effective for us as we plan our way into 2011. The right kind of planning, my brothers and sisters, comes from a right understanding about God's place in our lives. Know who God is and who you are. Fundamentally get that straight. It's so important. Know the right place of God in your life. 
and be honest about the reality of our plans. And through this, we can see God blessed in this coming year. And you will have joy in it no matter what comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we walk swiftly towards 2010 or 2011 from 2010, we ask you urgently and earnestly to help us to cherish you more in this year coming up. As I have already prayed, so I pray again, Father, please harness this peaked awareness of you that happens during this time of the year and make it guide our priorities in the upcoming year. Father, remind us of who we are and who you are. Help us to give you the proper place in our 2011 prioritizing. Keep us humble and realistic about even our best plans. Yes, our hearts plan our way, but we confess that it is you, O Lord, who direct our steps. Direct them, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.